Hello, and welcome to Alive or Just Blethering, a podcast where two 30-somethings discuss the music we found and loved growing up. My name is Chris Lavender, with me is my fellow host, Keith McLeod. Today on Alive or Just Blethering, I'll be taking us through The Trees Are Dead and Dried Out, Wait for Something Wild, by Sink. So straight off the bat, man, we can't ignore that title. You even sounded like you were given some sort of instruction when you said it. Like, the trees are dead and dried out. Wait for something wild. That's, that's like, the title. Right, okay. Hi, hi everyone. Welcome welcome to the podcast. And, uh, Hello! <laughs> so yeah, I knew this one was going to be a tough one because it's, it's a bit of an avant-garde piece. Divisive, isn't it? Very much so. Um, yeah, this, this, is a, this is a classic, though. I mean... Well, something. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, lads, go take us through this this sixth album. And if you're uh, if you're coming back to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us again. What have you thought of this album? Come and join the conversation at AOGB Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. So, yeah this 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 is one of those bands. I mean, just I'll speak of the band as a whole that mm-hmm. I have an immense amount of respect for and mm-hmm. by the looks of things so does 99.9% of all dient bands is that what we're going with here dient i just thought it was gent i mean i'm i'm over over enunciating it to oh sorry you're mocking it but I, I, I don't it's just metal right at the end of the day, isn't everything just metal? Not really. No, it's it's <laughs> no, but it's it's a sub it's a it's a subset of of heavy metal, where there's a a key emphasis on the use of seven string, eight string guitars to get that onomatopoeic dunt. And these are one of the first bands I remember ever hearing that had that sound. Mm. Mm, okay. I was a long way off from listening to Meshuggah. I probably didn't hear. I can't. I wouldn't have listened to Meshuggah until what two thousand ten ish, maybe. Are these guys? Hint. The hint. Do you think? <laughs> I, I think so. Um, I the staccato riff the. The groove, the groove in this. I think they really nailed funk metal in this album. See that, and and that's. I would maybe say that's a little bit different. Now, one of the first bands you sort of compared them, not so much compared them to, but sort of said, "Oh, you've no idea how many bands these guys have influenced." And I think your first influence was Periphery. I sort of then said, hmm, I don't know. I've sort of heard, I hear a few other bands that they may have influenced, but I also hear a few bands that have influenced them. And I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd go out and say these guys are a hint. They're not like, they're, like what did you just say there? Like that funk metal, that, that sort of jazz metal. Groove, like, a lot of groove. groove. There is groove in the songs, but I don't think there's there's the emphasis on the groove that you would find in the Hehent songs. Like it's not, it's it's not like that periphery groove. It's not that emure groove. It's not that. It's not sugar either. 
like as no, much as Meshuggah don't want to be a hoo-ha band like yeah Aren't, is, this a, is, is this a fucking batshit crazy balls to the wall trying something that probably wasn't very prevalent at the time band fuck yeah like these guys are reaching I mean, this was, hit or miss we have, we have to put it into context this was 2003 and, totally. and I think so just for, for any listeners out there who, who aren't aware so sixth they have only released three full-length albums. They released... This is their debut that we're going to be mostly talking about today. The Trees Are Dead and Dried Out. Wait for something wild. The next How album... How long do I up, wait? How long do I wait for? Till something wild turns up. But when will that happen? But, like, can you give me an ETA? I'm a busy man, man. You know, I don't want to, I want to be sitting not, around There's nothing waiting. after the, the comma, so I don't know. Just wait, mate. Fucking hell. <laughs> The next album that came out was in 2006 that was called Death of a Dead Day which really took this band up a level. Um, <laughs> Sounds like my Wednesday, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> and then the next album didn't come out until 2017. I understand um, there were some personnel issues. Yes, yes. Which um, well, I suppose you could say that. They actually broke up in 2008. They did. So after the release of death of a dead day and a few tours the two vocalists both vocalists left i'm not surprised this is a taxing band on the old vehes box yeah they they pushed it um they came back in 2014 by announcing a show for download sick so it wasn't like they were like oh we're going to come back and do a tour they're like we're just going to do downloads and then they released a new EP, which was like fully fan funded, called Opacities. Got some great songs on it. Um, Philistine Philosophies is a is a cracker. And then they made an album two years after that, The Future in Whose Eyes, with which features some guest spots from uh, Spencer Sotelo. Sotelo. I think so. Sotelo. Sotelo from from Periphery, and um, and it's kind of like going full circle it's when you end up sounding like someone who's imitating you I, right I, it's it's a funny old album because it just doesn't it doesn't have the same individuality that the first two albums have so that is that is absolutely the word i could use to describe this first album is it's individual unique oh boy is it it is unique actually in i found myself being able to give it a bit of a listen now full disclosure I you said six at the end of the last episode I just kind of went hmm not a band I ever got into not a band I've ever gave more than five minutes to I knew of them but that's about it I think I'd heard one song it didn't grab me at the time and I've never looked back I know people who do enjoy sixth and people who have openly referenced and talk about them and blah 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 but it was just they were just never a band that grabbed me and boy did I have to push past the first couple of listens of this album <laughs> like it was I, I honestly wanted to tell you to go fuck yourself like <laughs> this is this is a proper um, acquired taste I think and I some of the bands I'm going to sort of say that they have maybe influenced or, or sound like you know I enjoy those bands and I hear elements of those bands so like for example I said to you I get more, you know, this this concept of like this metal jazz funky fusion thing, like kind of reminded me of very early Incubus, 
I went yeah, back and yeah. listened to Fungus Among Us today. Fuck me, you got to be a hot dancer. Is such a gem. If that's even the right name, I can't remember. Um, admittedly, Incubus focus more on the sort of jazz elements of it, but definitely have their more sort of spazzed out rock moments, mm-hmm. like these guys do. All those these guys have it in spades. But then immediately, I was like, "Fucking hell!" This this guy's just listened to a lot of Mike Patton. Like yeah. with the different textures and sounds that he makes with his voice, until you told me there was two vocalists. Didn't even know that. <laughs> no way. I, I was I was quite when you said that. I was it was genuinely one of those. How how did how did you not notice this? In listening back to it, I'm like, okay, so there's there's the screams and there's the cleans. I do get it now, but hell, once you've listened to like the Devil Wears Prada, like someone having two different screams and an element of clean isn't impossible. So it did make a little bit more sense hearing that it was two vocalists. But yeah, I mean... To the Devil's Wears Prada's first album is probably the closest I could probably compare to the trees are dead and dried out. Is, what is their... It was the one before Plagues. So before Plagues came out, they had... Was it just... I can't remember the name of it now. But I remember it being like super weird. And it was, it gave me the same feelings that this album gave me when I first heard it. So it was very different from what else was on offer at the time. Dear Love, A Beautiful Discord. That's the one. Yes. So, weird... Actually, very, very close similarity here because... The Devil Wears Prada were another band I sort of it heard and immediately were like, can't be fucked. Nah, don't, don't like this. This hasn't grabbed me. There's nothing really there. And then a few years later, we'll probably talk about it in, in a few episodes, but I heard Dead Throne. Now, Dead Throne was a total shift for the Devil Wears Prada. I think a few original fans fell off. A few people like myself came onto the band as a far more metalcore-ish album than their earlier stuff but I did go back to With Roots Above and Branches Below and oh. fucking choice loved it that is it's their a- best album that is my that is my all-time favourite Devil Wears Prada album they've never been able to match that since and I don't know because the band themselves have openly came out and said we're not going to do the old stuff anymore we're not that band and that includes With Roots so Totally, totally, totally fine. I get it. If a band wants to move away from it, great. And if, if I'm being if probably critical of that album, it's the one that makes them the most... It's, it's a Joey Sturgis um, production. So it sounds like every other Rise Records band does. Right. It's quite samey when you start comparing it. And they, they lost a lot of their individuality by that point, whereas the previous two albums... Plagues and Dear Love a Beautiful Discord are extreme. They've got some extreme avant-garde moments in them. Almost silly, but not. And I, and this this is where I think Sixth come in to this conversation because this album, it's got some were really they, silly moments in it. Where they come into the conversation of their own episode. <laughs> yeah, totally. Just feel like there's a lot of stuff that goes on in this album. Lyrically sound signature wise just little 
things that are just, just daft. Right, let's talk about the vocal elephant in the room. What do we think about the vocals? What, what, what's our feelings here? How, I mean, do you, do you love every aspect of this album, including the vocals? Or, like, where, where, where do you stand here? I, I like the, um, the sort of duality of these mm-hmm. singers. I think that one of them's got this... I don't know how to describe it. So, so you've got the, the vocalists were, were Mikey and Justin. And Mikey um, is a... I mean, if you ever heard him in an interview, really deep voice, cockney. And I think Justin's the one that does the more higher pitched sort of screams. screams oh, really? Okay. A, screams is a stretch. Um, oh, wait, no, no. He actually, so I think Mikey does those as well. But then it's it's Justin's doing like the more general voc general vocals. Would you say? I don't know. Right. Who who does the sort of like spoken word stuff? That's Mikey. That's definitely that's Mikey. all Mikey. So that's just him layered doing different voices. I think so, because that's the, it, when he appeared on Reptile by Periphery. Second, I heard it, I was just like, "Oh, it's Mikey!" Straight away. So we said at the beginning, you know, this is an acquired taste, and that there's it's it's a lot of the vocal elements that are the hardest thing for me to get over. Like, it's stuff like at the end of uh, Can't We All Dream, you know, where the guy's just repeating in this droning, almost screaming, like exhausted voice of Can't We All Dream, Can't We All Dream, and it just goes on for minutes. I can't remember the name of the other song where it fucking happens as well, but it boils my piss, and I need to skip it. Like, the, not, not saying more of the song itself, but when it gets to those parts, and... I'd, personally, I'm just, I'm just not in on the story of this album. But yeah, when I, when I, I when will that. the forest speak? I don't, I don't get it. Like I'm not, I'm not there yet. I don't understand it. Stuff like I, that, just, just brr. I have to be honest. As as far as a concept goes, I am not sold on this album. I and and it's been it in retro, going back on it. I I. I've listened to this album now a few times this week. I've not listened to it for a while and I've I've held it in a bit of a, a nostalgia bubble, rose tinted glasses. They were pretty pretty on uh, pretty on hard, I think, cuz um I I skip a lot of this album. Really? That's yeah. I do. I think the pacing of it is is fucked to be to be frank. Um, well, the pacing's all over the place, even within the songs. With, I mean, within the songs, I can handle, you know, key changes, time changes, whatever they're doing to keep a song up. But then, so you've got the four, four songs at the beginning: "Center of the Obscene," "Pussyfoot," "Hold My Finger," "Skies of Millennium Night." Then you've got the first instrumental, "Immersion Part One." Then you've got one of my favorite songs on the album, "Peep Show," mm-hmm. and then the album goes into. Wait for something wild. Tupelo, which is a cover. Mm-hmm. Can't we all dream? And then immersion part two. So basically, between immersion part one and immersion part two, aside from Peep Show, I can't stand everything in the middle of it, and I just skip it and move past it. 
Really? That's that's funny. Because so I, I don't like Tipolo is growing on me massively. Like it, it, it's it's a guilty I, I get it. I can't then, stop singing it, but then it's got that hook. But then when you I didn't know there was a cover either. I'm not I'm aware of Nick Cave. I don't know his particularly his back catalogue. So when you like I was struggling so hard to, to get the theme. Like I was listening so intently to, to, to listen to the vocals. I was listening for like maybe a, like is this a concept album? I was listening for, for, for vocal themes i was looking for melodic themes like where's the hooks how does this all tie in together what's the story i think i even messaged you at one point and said is this like a musical interpretation of lord of the rings like i just didn't i didn't get what it was until you told me tupelo was a cover and then i just threw the concept of a concept out the window i was like all right maybe maybe this isn't one piece from from start to finish like a concept album maybe this is just 14 batshit crazy songs i feel like the lyrics if you if you read the lyrics it's it's like they're all in the first person of, of someone just i imagine so if, can you remember the smack my bitch up video mm-hmm. uh yeah, 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 yeah. right okay so the, so, the, the keith and what's his face were in the room uh no smack my bitch up it's a point of view person's out on the lash oh and them. then at the end you find out it's a woman yeah spoilers that that video if you imagine a person that's how these songs are to me it's someone going out and getting shit faced or meeting weird people so I think is it How May I Help You is a song about a guy named Rod mm. yeah this is a story about a little man named Rod who did not have a mind of his own just to, just went along with his pathetic lonely life um and if you watch the video, I think it was for "If You Aren't So Perfect," which was made by one of the band. It's like a almost South Park esque cartoon video. Um, mm. It's a demo version, by the way, the single version. If you do watch the video on YouTube, um, it's very weird. It's very just off, off the wall, bonkers sort of stuff. And it feels like it's it's people talking about their experiences of a of a night out, but then putting like a character onto it. Um, it's like well, very char- they feel ca- very character driven songs. There's characters all over this, isn't there? There's you know it's like I, I want I want to appreciate the style of it, and it is growing on me. Like I said earlier, like you know it, it was really hard to to push through this, but. You know, a couple of listens in there. The album is absolutely growing on me, but there are there are just like there is just that stuff at the end of songs where the guy's just rattling off stuff. Where I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. Fair enough. If you don't like this, the the, the vocal styles, I get it. It's 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 quite an acquired taste, hmm. uh, to say the least. Um. But the the overall, I think, I think they just again it's it's debut album syndrome. They've clearly written a few of these songs and then they've kind of interspersed them with with sort of covering probably a, a favorite of theirs and and the nice piano pieces. Sorry, when you told me that was a cover, I was blown away. I was like, I can't believe that they've got 
this level of creativity and then they do a cover they, they, and having listening to the original they've just basically sixthed it yeah like, yeah it's it's right on it's yeah it's a... they've, they've not changed it dramatically they've not completely you know it's not like renegades here they've not like altered the, the entire song or whatever or you know just taken a theme or basis they've just basically done Tipolo which I read is a song about the storm that hit the town of Tipolo on the night Elvis Presley was born. Look yonder, the king is born. Like yeah, like it's so the so the king the king being born in that song is is a reference to Elvis and stuff, and like you call these rivers streets, these streets are rivers something like it's just it's to- that song is is grown on me and I'm really fucking starting to love it. I but, will be 100% honest. I didn't even know it was a cover until very, very recently. All right, cool. I was so watching... Like everyone, yeah, I was watching Peaky Blinders. Oh, God. And Tupelo came on. And I'm like... Ooh. And I was like, holy fuck. They, they, they've got a sixth song on Peaky Blinders. This is mental. But it was Nick Cave. It was the Nick Cave version. I was like... Oh right, it's a Nick Cave cover, and I felt really silly in my head. Glad I didn't tell anyone until now, and I've not just published it on a podcast. But hey ho, um, what? Did you, so you were watching Peaky Blinders? What? What by choice? No, I enjoy Peaky Blinders. Oh, I hate it. Ah, uh, it t- uh, the first time it came out, I didn't get it, but after that, I got right into it. Uh, a few few years later, I think they had about five five series out by then. Yeah, I know a few people who are like, oh, Peaky Blinders is amazing, Peaky Blinders is so good. And I started watching it, I think I got about five, six episodes in, and I don't even know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I got about five, six episodes in, and I could not stomach the main cast. Like, see the whole fucking we're men, and we're, we're a gang, and we've got these caps, and we're fucking dick measuring over territory and pubs and blah 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 like really like it's it's just utter whack give me the stories about PTA, world war one ptsd or give me the stories about communism in like the north of england in you know 19 whatever those that that all sounded interesting but i would fucking... i would battle on then you you've you've left at a very very bad moment then well, maybe, but the, the, just the whole bravado of, like, we're hard as fuck, we're the Peaky Blinders. You know, at one point, they're talking about horse racing, and they go visit some pikeys, and they're all about, like, you know, trying to buy a horse off of these guys, or throw the race or something. I was just like, this is, this is just macho shit that I can't it's, fuck it, with. It's Sons of Anarchy in 1920s Birmingham. Which 100%, is... and Sons of Anarchy is an absolute dick fest as well, like, I hate it. Again, there was there was one that was a guilty pleasure of mine purely because it started off really. I thought it started off pretty good. I thought it was a nice set of characters, and I could see what they were building up to. And then there's the series where they go to Ireland. What they go to Ireland? Yeah, they go to Ireland. Oh man, it goes so it goes right. That's the when people refer to Jump the Shark. That's the show's Jump the Shark moment. Right. Okay. Do you know what Jump the Shark means? Do you know where it comes from? Um, Jaws. Happy Days. Okay. In Happy Days. No, this is familiar. Yeah, I've heard. Fawns literally jumps a shark, and it's just like, he's jumped the shark. It's it's just a phrase which is like, when a show's gone too far, 
too too there's no coming back from that i couldn't get into um what are we talking about sons of anarchy couldn't get into sons of anarchy as well two reasons one all like the, the male bravado and macho bullshit that was just like well oh, this is this is just absolute wank fest i also hate charlie hunnam i think he's a terrible actor like biker grove nah he's f- nah you've you're talking about my own kind here, mate. <laughs> Your own kind. What are you talking about? You're Scottish, lad. You're fucking Scottish. <laughs> With an accent like that. No, I just I just don't rate Charlie Hunnam as an actor. I'm sure he won't give a single fuck about my opinion, but like I I love Pacific Rim. I think Pacific Rim is an amazingly well. stupid movie. Like it that film jumps the shark a little bit in that it's just so unapologetically giant robots mashing giant monsters. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't give a single fuck. Idris Elba, you know, we're cancelling the apocalypse is just balls out nonsense. You could literally take out all of Charlie Hunnam's parts and that film would be far more enjoyable for me. I didn't even realise it was Charlie Hunnam. Really? Yeah, until very... Oh, because he, he does his generic American accent that I think he does in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I've got there's, there's a place. I, I don't really know many good movies with them in, to be honest. Um, oh look, I've got this giant robot. I'm gonna go fuck that kaiju right in the face. Like he's such an <laughs> asshole, man. I don't. I like him in. Um, I like. It's just another guilty pleasure of mine. It's Green Street. The one I with the think, light, Elijah Wood. I think that's one of the few films that I've maybe seen ironically full of male bravado and, and gang shit that I w- wasn't annoyed in him with. It's because it's, it's dumb. It's it's stupid. It's like, oh, we're going to follow a bunch of football hooligans around and they're all yeah. fucking dipshits. Like, maybe because I could relate to the Elijah Wood character, like not having a fucking clue about football and always feeling quite... But then getting roped into it anyway. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. Maybe, uh, maybe that's how I enjoyed that film a little bit more. So but, yeah, when Tupelo gets played in... As, um, Tupelo! Run for the double O. Uh, when he, that gets pulled up in a Peaky Blinders episode, genuinely did not realise it was a cover. And then I, I looked it up and I was like, holy shit, that, that's a cover this whole time. Um, but maybe outside of that, there's just I feel like the the pacing of the album just gets shot to shit after Immersion Part 1. And it never really recovers after that. And that's probably what makes it such a hard listen. Because, yeah, other than... After Immersion Part 1, yeah, you've got one real song, Peep Show, and Tupelo. And then it's Immersion Part 2. I think Wait, Wait for Something Wild is a song, but it just doesn't stand out to me as a song. Um, yeah. And then, really, but the, it, my two favourite songs off the album, though, are quite far apart in it. So it's Peep Show and Such the Fool and Hold My Finger. Mm-hmm. Such the fool. Oh yeah, yeah. Um Hold My Finger is one that I I have a significant nostalgia for. It was it was the first sixth song I ever heard at a house party back in concert before I moved up to to Edinburgh. But well, we can remind the listeners again that's also your S D N tag. It, it was, it was my um It was, it's not anymore. Uh, well it was my email address. That is what I gave to banks, building societies, and, <laughs> you know, hold my finger at 
email provider.com mm. um, and I said it with a straight face. <laughs> Good on you, man. Um, but then, since then, I've moved away from it. You know, I've grown up, but it's it's that one. Sometimes there are the odd ones that I sign into, and I'm like, oh shit, I still use that, don't I? But yeah, it's that. Have you ever seen that Barclays advert where it's the person who's trying to apply for a job, and yeah. they've and they've still got like the Kaz loves Dave at hotmail.com or something like that as their email site. Get a professional one, d.homes at something.com. And just one of those daft little like throwaway things like, yeah, the email address you had when you were 18 years old maybe isn't the most appropriate one to use when you're applying for a job. Just maybe. Fair, fair. I suppose I've not... Well, how can I talk about this without just getting my email address out there? (laughs) If you know my email address, which I think you do know my email address, I know your email it's, address. It's very regional, isn't it? So, it's very, I, I mean, it's it's very personal to you. Yeah, but it's also like a regional thing. So there has been the occasional time where, depending on who I'm talking to or where they're from, I felt the need to explain what that means. <laughs> what those but letters if, in in that in that context means. Yeah, but if you're just someone from somewhere else, I just it's meaningless. It off. Yeah, 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 totally, totally. I get it. I get that. So when you first gave me that email address, I was like, "Jesus Christ, that's that's a that's a that's a shout call back to a to another another day and age, isn't it not?" Totally. But then the the joke of that whole name. Oh, we can't really talk about this. The whole the joke of that whole name is that you know if if you've ever seen that tagged somewhere, <laughs> there's someone at home right now, or in on the bus, or in a car listening to this. Going, what the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) What the fuck are you talking about? You're trying to give me an email address, but you're not talking about an email address. But anyway, my email address was holdmyfinger at emailprovider.com. And it was my email address for a very, very long time. And I used it. It's my PSN ID. If if you want to hit me up on PlayStation Network, go for it. I'll just decline. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's not the way to treat our listeners. I don't know anyone who doesn't um anyone who adds me you need to know me um but it's just one of those names that stuck with me and it was because of this song and the song is i'm pretty sure it's about meeting a girl and it just being a complete farce like being like the most awkward sort of time date with a girl that you could possibly have um there is i i am i i I don't know if it's fair to say i've not really like i say there's still a lot to to unpack and listen to in this album but it was one of the sort of first things that struck me a little bit and there's perhaps a level of immaturity here definitely despite the level of which the musicianship is operating on because it's incredibly high you know no one was pulling this shit off in, in these days like you know when someone's stopping the song and in, in the middle of it to say butt cheeks you're a bit like ah oh, that's some south park shit do you know what i mean yeah like it's, very much yes and i don't know if i'm not getting the satirical vibe that south park gives when they're doing that you know i get the south park joke that's the immaturity is part of the piss taking 
But when you're stopping your song in the middle of it to say, butt cheeks, I'm a bit like, hmm. I think if it's it's something that is only exists in this album. Mm-hmm. Their later albums don't have that same sort of shock value jokes that seem to prevail in, in this one. So Death of a Dead Day, it, it feels like a much more mature album, and it is. It was made three years later. They'd grown as musicians, they'd grown as people, and they make a much more coherent sound. If anyone was going to ask me what you know what to listen to for sixth, and they'd never heard them before, and Tupelo, <laughs> give them Tupelo. I'd give them. I would probably <laughs> give them Tupelo. Peep Show, Such the Fool from this album. Or just say, listen to Death of a Dead Day. Because the whole album of Death of a Dead Day, it's still got the segues, it's still got the weird talking bits, but I feel it's much more contained and Mm -hmm. well-structured to make it more palatable. That's cool. Um, I might might go check it out. The the songs that sort of stand out for me, there's so much that I've not really gotten into, but there was one or two that that started to come out to me. Again, tipolo, tipolo. But the um, just even before we started recording, was given it one last listen, had the headphones in, and Skies of the Millennium Night really stood out. That sort of last minute of instrumental is just fucking good. It's just really, really good, ironically. No vocals. It's, you know, the band are just like jamming through this bit. It's proggy as hell. Yeah, it's, uh, it was really cool. There's absolutely tons on this album to enjoy. Riffs and rhythms and slap bits. The bass tone is abysmal. Like it's so so flat and like. Oh, it really stuff. pops for me. I thought I like. I, I think it's really twangy. I think it's again. It makes it stand out. It, the lot of the music I was listening to before I moved up was in that sort of like funk realm. Listening to a lot of Incubus, a lot, um, Mr. Bungle, Sublime, yeah. these kinds of things were getting played by my friends. So when this came along and it had that sort of wild vocals of like System of a Down, again, another band. Why have we not talked about System of a Down yet on this podcast, well, Keith? I don't rate them, but okay. That'll be why. So <laughs> I'm not going to suggest them. I don't want to listen to Chop Suey any more than anyone else has to. I mean, I've listened to, if there's any song I've probably listened to more than the world, it's probably Chop Suey because it was on non-stop on fucking Kerrang. It was that and Nickelback, how you remind me. <laughs> I thought you were having a structure, I remember that. <laughs> that was literally, I'm just, I didn't, I pushed out of my head. I was like, oh my God, I didn't want to remember yeah. this. So, I yeah. just reminded, I need to get, my, get you a Christmas present. Look at this photograph. <laughs> Christ. Yeah, so this this was like listening to sort of System of a Down meets Mr. Bungle meets Incubus. Right, so the bass tone. The the the, yeah. the, the, the only reason it pops is because the guy's literally popping the string, you know, Bang. as he's slapping he pops it. But you you know, he's almost his bass tone is almost akin to field day. If it wasn't for the fact he's hitting the string like off the off the pickups or off the bridge or something, you know, the neck, you you wouldn't hear it. There's not, certainly from what I heard, there's not a lot of actual bass in his bass tone. It's very mid, it's, it's you know, it, it just doesn't really sit very well with me. 
is that perhaps because the guitarists are playing seven or eight string guitars? Well, I wouldn't have thought so because they're all over the place. And it comes back to what I was saying beforehand about the gent style. I don't really think they have that heavy chugga chugga sound. Mm-hmm. They're they're so, oh, you know, for lack of a better phrase, they're just so all over the place in what they're playing, and they're so diverse in what they're playing sure. that, yeah, like the the guitars don't really have. I don't think they they're sort of carrying the lower end, and the bass player is off doing whatever he wants because he's clearly a very talented guy. But for me. It's obviously clearly a preference. Yeah, the, just the clicky poppiness of the bass tone without actually carrying any of the the lower end of the songs didn't do much for me. Yeah, I I, I do um, I do think that I, I just I don't know what I, I love it. I, I really love the, that tone. Um, there's just like there's moments of it where. It just feels like this total speed bass and just like just hits it. I don't know why it just makes me tap my foot, bang my head, and, and just totally get into it. And you hear that, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm into this album instantly. There we go. Even that riff from what you're saying, that yeah, the bass isn't carrying that because no. they're all playing the same thing. Yeah, and it's just that when when I listen to music. I love that sort of like to me that's a lot of jazz where you'll have three musicians playing something completely different and then all of a sudden they all just play together the same thing and it's like oh they were playing along all along they were playing all together all this time and I never realized and that's I love that sort of that to me is as some of my favorite music is that way um if there was any album i would recommend someone listen to that they want it's like that sounds weird as fuck avant-garde is um it was uh, square pusher versus the x machines uh right. music for robots right and it's sort of got that i don't know just really jazzy it's it's it all these all the instrumentation of it is being played live but it's being played live by a robot that's been programmed by the Z machines, I think they're called. So it's Square Pusher has written the music for the Z machines to play. Mm-hmm. And obviously the Z machines is just a few guys who, who program these robots to, to play instruments. And it's fucking incredible. Um, but that just reminded me of the very first Animals as Leaders album. Wow, okay. Talk that's what the... That, that's what this I think there's a lot of sixth in that album I, mean, oh, I would need to go back and listen to it take take away this obviously Animals as Leaders exceptionally technically proficient lots mm. of like sweeping arpeggios and all these beautiful note widdly widdly twinkly stuff <laughs> widdly widdly twinkly stuff but you nice. get like but the bass if like especially the, the intro of like I think is it Cafao it's very like staccato bass and then bosh it all hits together at once like oh fuck takes you by probably hits me Cafao especially when the love it do animals as leaders have a bass player? maybe not again because they're playing seven eight string guitars do they even yeah. need one? I don't think they do well 
everyone could need a bass player. But I think they've just stylistically chosen not to have one. Potentially not. Potentially not. Yeah, they're just all guitars and drums. They've had they had a bass player in two thousand nine. Did they? Oh. There's a band I can put on any song from any album over the last what, fourteen years. And I don't care which album it's from, I think it all sounds great. It's all just Oh no, they've had a bass player since two thousand they do have a bass player. They do. Okay. But I don't think they Well, they've got Javier Reyes down as guitars and bass. Hmm. Don't know how that works live. Anyway, I want to touch on something. You've mentioned the 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 genre avant garde a few times. It wasn't really something that I was familiar with. Or so I thought. Courtesy of our friends at Wikipedia. Looking at a few avant garde bands, we've got uh Devon Townsend, the Dillinger Escape Plan. Yep. We've got Protest the Hero, Periphery, yeah. Kim, Crimson, Kim Crimson, Killing Joke. Led Zeppelin are even down as an avant garde band. They have avant garde moments, and this is the the thing with with it, I would say. Like, yeah, you, you put on. I think even the most if you put on like one of the most famous Led Zeppelin songs probably Stairway to Heaven mm. <clears throat> it's a four minute acoustic song about you know buying a Stairway to Heaven and then it just rips into this amazing guitar solo mm-hmm. and it's lots of like drums and stuff they had a they had a um, if, if anyone isn't Led Zeppelin there's a there's obviously there's Moby Dick, which is just a drum solo. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that I'm trying to think of, the Brunyard Stomp. It's all very like country western, so it's uh, slap steel. The Dan down down. Yeah. The down down. So I think they, it's really hard to pigeonhole Led Zeppelin as a as a rock and roll band because they were so progressive and every album was very different and stuff, and. Yeah, I would, I would, I would probably say Led Zeppelin are a, a, a bit avant-garde, and then as their albums later on albums, they just got weirder and weirder. I mean, there's so much more. Isis, I wrestled a bear once. Tool are in there. That that makes a little bit more sense to me. Yeah. Mastodon, Mars Volta, our old pals, Mushroomhead, Mudvayne. It's just not a genre that's like I've really heard mentioned much. And I'm surprised that I actually quite like a few bands that are referred to as avant-garde. Oh, I'm just, I, I, I mean, the word avant-garde just means like not normal. What is it again? I'm gonna have to look that up. Avant-garde is a person or work that is experimental, radical, or unorthodox with respect to art, culture, or society. Fair. It's frequently characterised by aesthetic innovation and initial unacceptability. So, well, sixth in two thousand and three wasn't really well accepted. It was a bit different. By two thousand by two thousand fifteen, it was pretty much the norm. So, when they came out with an EP and a follow up album, it was a bit like, yeah, it's sixth, but this is 
this is this is fine now. We're, we're all on board <laughs> with this. What's what's the deal? <laughs> Sorry, I just reminded myself of that meme, you know, where it's the dog and like the fires around it, like the house is burning down, and it's just like this is fine. It's like that's us. We're the dog, and then the world is on fire, like we said last week, and Sixth come out with a new album, and you're like, yeah, this is fine. Yeah, uh, the, the the world will continue to burn, and I'll just listen to this new Sixth album. Yeah. So it's all of it, you know. It's to call it avant-garde metal. Must admit, I have to cringe at um, some of the words, also known as avant metal. Never heard that phrase used in my life. Nope, don't like it. Nope. Experimental metal. Okay, I get it. To you know, experimental the adjective metal. All right. Sure. Experimental. That, get out. That's not a real word. You've... Bye. See you later. To the editor of this Wikipedia article, please change it. Thank you. <laughs> please stand up. Fuck off. Yeah, no, thank you. So we spoke about, at the beginning, you know, we can hear where, we've mentioned some of the bands that we think have been influenced by Sixth. I, I definitely hear Mike Patton. I definitely hear a bit of Dream Theater, maybe even a little bit of Early Incubus. The sort of acts that I sort of hear have definitely been influenced by this. At moments, I thought I was listening to Tesseract. Again, another British gent prog, prog yeah. avant metal band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, Tesseract fit in that fit that bill quite well. I don't personally have much of a problem with Tesseract. I think they, um, what was it? The the not their most recent album. I think their most recent album was just a bit bland. Um, but there was one they had not so long ago. So altered state. I thought that was good. Uh, yeah, I I I had a weird relationship with Tesseract. I absolutely loved their first album, and then I completely fell off on their second album. I think they changed vocalists in between. Yeah, and th- every album's got a different vocalist practically. <laughs> I want to say the, the vocalist from album one came back for album three, maybe. I'm not sure. But yeah, I, I love Tesseract on the first album. And then I just, I've never gone back after the second album. Like I actually hate the the, the second album. I actually sort of, in, in not liking the first, second album, it put me off the first album. And I just felt, I don't know, the word pretentious comes to mind when I think of Tesseract now. And I can't get past it. Do you remember the, um, the there was a jingle that was used for Scuzz TV? That was Maybe. Tesseract. I'd probably know it if I heard it. That was one of their songs. It was off the the conceal. I'm sure it's on the Concealing Fate EP. It got used as like a little like jingle, like we used that song at the beginning of our episodes. It was mm-hmm. used by Scuzz as like a little segue music. For in between the adverts yeah I think it, it was one the first album 2011 one I was totally into that and then I think second album 2012 Perspective just I don't know what happened I can't remember I'd have to go back and listen to it but some something changed I don't I, think I might even have saw them live I've never seen them live um but definitely, yeah, they, this this band can't say they weren't influenced by Sixth. 
I mean, to the point where, like, musically and vocally, I thought I was listening to Tesseract at some point. Mm-hmm. So very, very clearly influential at that point. Anyone else you can think of? Um, I think Violet Veil of Maya. Right. Yeah. Veil of Maya now or Veil of Maya original Veil of Maya? Probably they, more the they, more so the original stuff. Um, but I mean Veil of Maya, they okay. took their name from a avant-garde metal band called Cynic from like the early nineties. Okay. They had a, I want to say a song could be an album called Veil of Maya. I think it was just it was just a song called Veil of Maya, and they Veil of Maya took their name from from cynic so you know it's all it's all relative they all just borrow things up the chain as it were there yeah there was i had quite a funny moment to myself just driving home in the car last night listening to this and i was i was driving so i was listening to the the full full length of the last song and you know where it's the talking and it's the it's the different voices in the character and i i was hating life like i was I thought, no, I'm going to push through. I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to try and bring this in. I'm going to do it for the art, man. I'm going to do it for the pod. I fucking never want to hear that so-called song ever again. But anyway, I'm driving along and I, and the song changes. And I'm like, oh, this is, this is a little bit better. Oh, this is cool. I'm, I'm feeling this groove a little bit. There's been no stupid vocals so far, so like I'm feeling, I'm digging. Yeah, gone on Spotify Radio and I was listening to Monuments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there we go. Different like, band entirely. And, like, I didn't even notice. Like I noticed the change. I thought, oh, maybe this is, maybe this is sixth. But a couple of years later, but it was <laughs> absolutely a different band I was listening to. Which Monuments again, sort of maybe similar to Periphery, really liked their first album, but then fell off. Although, not similar to Periphery, because when I, I kind of came back to Periphery, and I, and I quite liked their later stuff. I have I have a, a, a love-hate relationship with Periphery. Yeah, you love them. I hate that I love it. them. I hate that I love them. I don't like the first two albums. I, I, used to, I used to really enjoy the first album. The second album came out, and I was a bit like, mm, this is... This is a harder listen because it's it's very um, it's a bit too too clean, too nice, uh, and it wasn't until Stranger Things came on a a playlist, <laughs> and I was like, this is fucking incredible, and I I don't know why I love this. I so absolutely funny. love this song. <laughs> it was so funny long before we started this podcast, and you were telling me that your addiction to Stranger Things. I don't know what and... it is about that song, man. It just blows me out every time I listen to it. I'm going to put it on before we go to bed tonight. I have to hear it now. It's just a beautiful song. I really like the first two albums, Periphery and Periphery, Periphery Two. Too. Thank you. What was the third uh, album, by the way? Juggernaut Three Alpha. No. <laughs> This Periphery 3 came out after Juggernaut and Alpha. Yeah. Not according to Spotify. No, no, it's, yeah, so they did Periphery 1, oh sorry, they did Periphery self-titled, they did Periphery 2, Select Difficulty? They've got, they've got little, they've got like little subtitles, and then they did the, the double album, which is Alpha and Omega, Juggernaut. Which has Stranger Things on it. Yeah. Um, Love the double, love it, and then 
and then they did Periphery 3, which I think is select difficulty stage. Yeah. And now they've released Periphery 4, Hail Stan. Stan. Oh. Love it. Crazy. So, <laughs> I didn't... Re- I think... Yeah. I didn't... I fell off them after Periphery 2. I was just kind of like, I think I'd moved on to other things. I think I was way more into my sort of my ISIS's and your this will destroy yous and and, and your stuff like that than than the gent stuff. But I totally came back round because after I heard uh Periphery Three, like after I heard like Marigold and stuff like that, I was just like, Oh my god, this is like amazing. And yeah, I went back over I think I preferred Alpha over Omega, which is funny because you I think you prefer Omega over I'd, Alpha. I did, yeah. I think it's got a heavier tone overall. Yeah. Um, and then they did Hail Stan and I'm like fuck yeah yeah I mean statement of intent when your first track 17 minutes long <laughs> we, we talked about this at the time as well I was raging and it yeah I, I was loving it I was like this is hilarious it's like 20 minutes of this album's track one um, but it was yeah it's got Mikey from sixth on doing vocals about seven, seven and a half minutes in he comes in with his dead-eyed soldiers and all that so yeah it's great and there you go full circle back to back to sixth so to me that that is that is why sixth are so important because they clearly have an influence on the bands we listen to today nah sure you can you can see it very much so it's it's i don't know it's, it's funny for me to sort of hear such clear influences on them but then also they're like a stepping stone, you know. They're they're like they've obviously taken things that have influenced them, and then now they're the band that have influenced other people as well. Ironically, I mean, Brass Tacks—they're not even that big a band. I think where they broke up, two thousand and eight. I, yeah. I just feel like if they'd soldiered on, I don't. I don't know what the the personal circumstances were. I think Justin is a producer, so two of them are just are. Uh, are producers Justin Hill and Dan Weller are producers in their own right mm-hmm. and I think Justin wanted to get on with his production and I'm pretty sure Mikey was just like well if he's leaving I'm leaving and that was it and it took them another sort of seven years to get over that and they managed to get a different vocalist in to replace Justin Um, I just feel like if they'd soldiered on past 2008 they would have hit the streaming boom. And I, didn't work for everyone. They came back in 2015 and they didn't really bring anything new. They they were the new thing. This They were avant-garde in their first two albums. They came back and they were just sort of mainstream, hard, heavy metal. At that, that by song that point. you sent me, the song you sent me that's got Spencer Satella on it, I was utterly underwhelmed by it. Beige. Quite beige. Very I, much so. I feel like when, when I hear a Spencer song, I want to hear him totally like wailing, hitting hitting notes that you don't even know exist with your vocals. And that song doesn't it just he's just there. He's he's just a a literal backing vocal on it. Once again we're talking about Spencer Sotello, so I will refer to his Nick Mystery, synthwave pop synth pop band, totally worth that? a blast. What was that um, thing that he did with? It was like a, it was sort of synthy one. It wasn't Nick Mystery. It was just like a he was 
again of guest vocals on some digital I can't remember the name you sent me them and it, it could almost be a periphery song but it's not and then it, it weakens out towards the end honestly really at this point in time not sure because he doesn't have a wiki so I can't go and check what he's, what he's featured on does have a discogs though I think I've tried to go through and it's not on there it was probably Mick Mystery in all honesty it may well have been I just thought it was it was something that wasn't really in his it was like the, a few other artists had done their own ones so it was like a collaboration EP of, of different artists doing like electro drum and bass stuff strangely he's not his Nick Mystery stuff isn't on Discogs yeah it'll be is, a, as as someone else then but I'm looking as as vocals oh featuring presenting whoops uh... but yeah it's he's a again another very talented vocalist yeah that's um, great him and uh, what's the name of the guy from Ice Nine Kills very very good vocals like they've got that he's he's called Spencer Charnas he's got a good good vocal range on him as well um, a mutual friend of ours sort of recommended Ice Nine Kills and I was like nope and sorry, sorry Robbie if you're listening it Was wasn't for me but I've, I've got a I can listen to them now um, especially I think you'd like their older stuff because their older stuff is very much Rise Records metalcore like you Devil Wears Prada and um, every, every Rise Rise Records sort of that um, Attack Attack that kind of stuff it's good um, did you ever this is a com- complete complete sidestep of a sidestep of a sidestep did you ever hear of a band called Blessed by a Broken Heart Saw them live, supported by Enter Shikari. No way! How did that go down? That they were, everyone left. They were not. Everyone was there to see Enter Shikari. Yeah. It was at Subway Cowgate, and so blessed by a broken heart. For those uninitiated, are an eighties hair metal metal band, like hardcore band. Um. um no, more so just a sort of eighties power metal, you know, with with, with breakdowns, wannabes. with breakdowns and modern synths. Yeah. So, um, basically, this was right on the cusp of Enter Shikari becoming Enter Shikari. It would have been September two thousand and seven. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't think Enter Shikari had even released their first album, but everyone, but their shows were sellout. They were. They didn't. Need, that's why. That's what made Enter Shikari. Enter Shikari. They didn't need to release an album. They had done so well touring their EPs. Yeah. That everyone knew them anyway. They'd smashed it. So then, when when this show came to uh, Subway, it was Subway as a venue. What? One hundred. If if not maybe fifty people in there at a time would make it look busy. Um, was I had that show. I have seen Enter Shikari or something. So everyone left after Enter Shikari finished, and there was another band on. And blessed by a broken heart, they come from Canada. I want to say they're Canadian. Maybe. Um, they yes. 
they'd come over. Oh, the worst part of Canada. To this show, just to be left. Basically, about five people that were left afterwards. That sucks. It was really poor. Was it their tour or was it? Yeah, yeah. They were they were the headline act. They were touring all these venues, but they were taking Enter Shikari with them, and it sort of worked because Enter Shikari were very synth, you know, that sort of synth math cotton um, Nintendo core kind of thing kicking in the middle. Yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. And then you know you've got this eighties synth uh, metal band playing afterwards, but no one wanted to see them. No one wanted to see them. Everyone wanted to just see Enter Shikari. The only reason I bring them up is because I actually came across them last week while I was looking through the Rise Against stuff. I think there was the cross paths on a label or something like that. And I, I shuddered. Like, like I shuddered at remembering having downloaded one of their albums, burnt it to a CD and like listened to it in my car. I think I, think I couldn't stop listening to it because it was so bad. Like they just had like sample drums in and amongst things. Like it wasn't it wasn't the drum beat. It it wasn't the drummer, like and part of the song. There would just be a song and then they'd just have like a like on like an electric pad. Like yep. just like almost like as if they're doing like a like a gravity blast or something or like a like a like a bass drop or something. They would just like and then they would just have these mental synths and I sort of revisited them last week and vomited <laughs> that I'd never listened to them in the first place and, and I'll never listen to them again. But just because we we're talking about synth pop and stuff like that, like they kinda they kinda came back into my into my consciousness, unfortunately again. Yeah. No, they were again, yeah, I was they were, I remember I vividly remember seeing them live, definitely. Uh, not, I never saw them live. Not one I'd want to see again particularly again. And the Shikari that night were absolutely on fire. They were that is the best I've ever seen them and ever will see them live. Um, I think I'm pretty sure the next time I saw Anna Shikari, I was just like, "That's me done. I've had enough." <laughs> Scratch card glories, mate. Scratch card glories. Scratch card glories. Nah, absolutely, man. Well, but yeah, I don't think I've got anything more to say on sixth, unless you have got anything to add. All right, I'll I'll leave it with 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 the the metaphor that I sent you All over right. the phone. I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember. I do. But I found this album a bit like a sex act you've never done before. Your partner suggests it, so for them, you'll do it. You'll give it a shot. At first, it's weird, and you don't really like it, and you don't know if you enjoy it. But then you start to settle into it, and you get a little bit comfortable, and you get a little bit in a groove, and you're like, "No, oh, this isn't so bad." Every so often, there's a big no-no. If you're like, "Oh no, don't like that." But then you start to settle back into it. And I think for me, that is my experience with... Oh, fuck, I can't even remember the name of the album. The trees are dead and dried out, wait for something wild. It's like... Pushing your sexual boundaries at a time when you're not really sure if you want to. <laughs> fair enough. That's but a you'll fa- try anything once. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a fair analogy. It's a very weird album. And... Yeah, the nostalgia carries it for me in a lot. It gives it. I give it a lot of forgiveness for some things, and in listening to it going back this week, I don't think I've been as forgiving as I as I would be normally. And I've and I've been quite ruthless in thinking. You know what? If I'm being brutally honest, there's six tracks on this I'll listen to out of fourteen, and I couldn't believe it was an hour. 
that was another thing. I was like, holy, holy crap, this is... You're, 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 the, the, there's an hour of music here, and like you, I have listened to this pretty much back-to-back -back for the last couple of days, and I'm walking away with like two or three moments where I'm like, yeah, that's cool, I'd listen to that again. Yeah. That's it. And that's, that's, that is my, my 10 pence on it, really, is that yeah, I'll take I'll take those two tracks, but I'll very likely listen to the later the the next album, which is for me much more mature, much more palatable. I probably won't bother. <laughs> I'll just I'll just oh, well. I'll come back to Tipple every now and again just for the pants, <laughs> but just listen to the Nick um, version. Well, I did, and and I think I prefer the sixth version. Wow. Oh, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, hey, it was something. You know, we can say we've done it. Yeah. I know, yeah. Maybe a little bit of a bucket list. You know, you can say you, you, you did that thing. Thanks for bringing it to the pod. Something I had honestly hadn't heard before. I'd, I'd just completely gone past sixth and never really given a fuck, frankly. Yeah. So normally we do this whole like TikTok my version then it's your version then it's my song your song album mm -hmm. sorry my album your album blah blah um what's happening next are we not doing that no because next time would we have a special guest on do we we do oh we do <laughs> yeah we do we do we yeah do. we do Oh, I was so, so ready. I had my choice in everything. I was ready. I know, I know you did. I was. I, I'm so sorry to pop your bubble on that one, but mm. I hope that talking about popping, you. I, I hope that you're gonna like what what this what we're gonna be covering next week. Wait, which guest is it? Uh, we'll we'll announce the guest at the time. Okay, what album is it? We're gonna be doing My Chemical Romance, Three Chases ah, for Revenge. Ah, yeah, we are. Yeah, we, yeah are. we are. Okay, so after that, we've got another guest, I think. Oh, have you got a guest sorted for the one after? Yeah. Did we not talk about this? We've talked about this. Yes, you have talked about this. We've talked about this on at length. Yes. Listeners, if you're not fully aware of the situation here, Lav, are cl Lav and I are clearly on it. We know exactly what we're doing. We have got the episodes planned it's, weeks it's all, and weeks in advance. All a facade. It's all a facade where we this are. This is not an absolute shit show where... There's spreadsheets and calendars and all sorts getting used every day by all of us. All of us, as if there's more than two. <laughs> <laughs> by the whole production team. Anyway. Right, cool. So we're doing sweet uh, three chairs. Yeah, I'm yeah. down for that, man. I'm down Fucking for that. Right, yeah. Again, it's just another parkour moment for the Spotify, but hey ho. Oh, I got the um, I got the alert the other day to say that the um, the roundup is coming. You know, check out last year's roundup. And for the first year, I'm like, don't want to see it. Don't don't want to see it. I'm worried. I'm worried it's... because this podcast has ruined my podcast. My, my not my po this podcast has ruined my Spotify playlist. Do you think if we ever start making money from this, we could have like our own private spot? Like we'd have an AOGB Spotify that we can just play all the shit through there yeah i would like to do that if if if, if, if we were if, if we had patrons paying us a tenner a month i would have a separate spotify account we'll never have, no one's ever going to pay us to do this <laughs> <laughs> unless you will in which case my name you, you know well, at aogb podcast reach out <laughs> to us on instagram we'll we'll Cheers. talk about it but no totally. if, uh it's not it's not on the not on the uh not on the agenda just yet 
But yeah, I mean, it's we're, we're still in and amongst 2003, 2004, so lots to get through. So much to get through. Yep. Lav, take us home. Thank you very much, Keith. Yes, well, thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Please do check us out on Instagram at AOGB Podcast for updates, memes, the odd reel or video when I fancy making them. Um, but that's generally where we're going to be announcing new episodes. Uh, next time on Alive, which is Blethering, uh, me and Keith and a special guest will be talking us through Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. I'm not okay. I am. I'm so excited. I'm not okay. Good night. Good night, everyone. No. <laughs>